Welcome to another edition of One Bottle at a Time. This is Ronald Dorsey. And today we're in New York City's lovely Rockefeller Center with Miss Crystal Horton. She's the wine director of Del Frisco's, a wonderful uh, steakhouse that also has uh, other fare for those of you who uh, don't uh, partake in the steak. Crystal, can you tell our audience the uh, one bottle that we'll be enjoying today? Today we're going to be enjoying um, Realm Cellars' The Bard 2015 from Napa Valley. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. And the uh, varietal of this particular wine is? So this is a proprietary blend that they do. Okay. Um, and they do use Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Petit Verdot, Malbec in this blend. Okay, wonderful. All right, so we'll dive into that. So Crystal, we're going to get into the, today a little bit about uh, what a wine director like yourself does at a uh, establishment like this. Obviously, uh, this is a very, very large establishment. For those of you uh, who are not familiar with New York City, uh, once again, it's uh, Del Frisco's. It's in, uh, in Rockefeller Center. Uh, I guess uh, maybe uh, probably steps away from the famous Radio City Music Hall and also the famous uh, ice skating rink and where they have the big Christmas tree every year. So if you happen to be in, in the Rockefeller Center area of New York City, Come on by Del Frisco's. So, Crystal, tell us a little bit about, about what you do here at, uh, at this large uh, and wonderful establishment as the wine director. Well, it's a, uh, a monster of a program that we have here. We have just under 3,000 selections on the wine list. Wow. And um, we're very fortunate to have uh, received the grand award from Wine Spectator for three years in a row now. Mm. Um, and as much as everybody seems to think it's a completely glamorous job wandering around selling $1,000 bottles of wine to every table, uh, there's a lot that goes into it um, that's behind the scenes, mm. you know. Um, so it's, it's everything from sourcing these amazing wines and, and finding new wines, and it's, it's a world that's ever-changing. And every vintage is different. Every bottle is different. Um, they're sort of, they have their own little life once they're in the bottle. So it is, it's... A lot of um, not just uh, picking the perfect bottle, but also uh, managing people and managing expectations and, you know, all of all of the things that go with it. Right. So now with such an extensive wine list, does it ever become a challenge to you to uh, find that special wine for a guest that may be a little more demanding and experienced wine drinker that, that comes here perhaps for something like a, uh, a business dinner? And, uh, you know, and they, they, they want to kind of dive into something really nice and unique. So how do you do that? How do you figure out? How do you say, well, out of my 3,000 bottles, what's going to be my selection for this particular guest? How do, how, how do you go about that? I think that uh, the main thing that I always say, even to the Psalms that work for me, I say, you need to listen. Mm. You need to listen to what the guest is saying to you and ask the questions, you know, sort of leading questions that are going to get you to that right bottle. And don't get me wrong, every psalm has their favorites and their favorite region, and they're more inclined to introduce people to, you know, new and different wines that they love, which is great. But at the end of the day, I always say to people, it's not about what I want. It's about listening to what the guest wants. Mm. And, Mm. you know, it's really a skill that you have to kind of hone and develop and make it not about you as a sommelier, but about um, what's going to be perfect for the guest. Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. So now, uh, is, is that something that can be difficult at times, or is it, you know, so once again, just having such a large selection to, to dig into, 
is can that be difficult at times to find that that right one or do you you know how, how does that usually work just finding that right one out of the out of the number I mean, it, it, it can be difficult, and you obviously get people that are really discerning and know what they want, and and that kind of is actually can be helpful too, because then you can say to them, well, what do you normally drink? Okay. What show me some options that you like, and then I can give you options that are similar to that, or completely wildly different if that's something you're interested in doing. Mm, okay. So now you you have uh, uh, I guess selections from all over the world. From uh, the French, American, everywhere, uh, everywhere, everywhere, and since we're here in New York City, obviously you get an international uh, guest list that comes here. Do you have any particular uh, region that people tend to favor uh, over over any others? Would you say? Absolutely, it's New York. People are here; they want to drink local, and by local, that means California. Okay, <laughs> for <laughs> so, the U.S., right? Yes. They're in a steakhouse, and they expect big, bold California cats. Right, big, bold reds to go with the steak. Okay, okay, good. So you do probably a lot of the the bold reds to go with the steak. Oh, yes, Uh, 100%, yeah. Okay, and since we're digging into, uh, we're we're in the summer now, do you do do, uh, quite a bit of the rosé this time of year? Do people make requests for that quite a bit, would you say? You know... it's rosé has had such an interesting sort of journey over the past i would say 5 years it, when i first started a thousand years ago in this restaurant nobody drank it you had one rosé but it was really white zinfandel right. and then there was this <laughs> this sort of renaissance for rosé and it became like the, the hottest thing and so it's funny that today a steakhouse uh, would have three different selections of rosé by the glass mm. alone. And then probably, I think we have 10 to 12 selections by the bottle. Wow. And they're all wildly different, and people request them and drink all of them and really enjoy it. Okay, good, good, wonderful. So now for you, personally, uh, we like to ask our guests here, uh, what was the first wine that really blew you away? What was the one that, that kind of knocks your socks off and said, wow, I'm, 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 in, I'm in love with wine and took you on your journey as a wine lover? Right. There, there are two instances. The first okay. one, I was uh, 16, and I was traveling in, in France with you know, a school group, and of course our parents signed the permission form that you were allowed to have a glass of wine with meals. So you know, as kids, we decided to find ways to have eight or nine meals a day, <laughs> as you do. But I was in the Southern Rhone, and uh, it wasn't even, I wasn't even drinking wine. I was uh, in the vineyards talking to this... Yeah. Now I think of him as this 90-year-old vigneron, mm. and uh, we were walking through his vineyards, and I just fell in love with the region and with the, the sort of, um, you know, the viticulture and everything around, and it was just so beautiful. I was like, I love wine. I love this mm. culture. Mm. And, but so what you're talking about, I think, are the aha wines. Right, the ones that right. you tasted and was like, wow. <laughs> this went, is, oh, now this, I get right, it, right? Now I get it, right, yes. right. Um, so I think one of those, to me, was this tiny little production. Um, I mean, I had had many incredible, beautiful wines, um, but this tiny little production that was introduced to me, and it was called Scarecrow. Mm. And it came in a three-pack wooden box, and it had a little scarecrow, just like from The Wizard of Oz, on the label. It was very simple. Mm. And uh, the box itself had um, straw in it like from a scarecrow. Mm. And so I, my distributor said, you really should try this. I tried the bottles made by this wonderful woman named Celia Welch. Um, 
and uh, it was like magic in a glass. And I, I, I tasted it, and I said, well, this is the most amazing wine. I, and, you know, it was that night my CEO at the time of the company was coming in for dinner, and he mm. said to me, well, what wine are you going to give to me tonight? And I was like, well, there's only one that I could possibly think of at this moment because I can't get it out of my head. And it was the Scarecrow. Wow. wow. And it was that one that I actually decided I had to go to California. I'd been before, but I said, when I go, I have to go and meet the people and see the vineyard because mm. this wine was Is so... That, whoa. Do, you, do you recall what the uh, varietal was? At no, all? it was Cabernet. It's Cabernet. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. Cabernet wow. from old, like crazy old bush vines. And uh, the owners are Brett and Mimi and... Uh, I was actually in their house with them, mm. with their two little dogs, drinking their scarecrow wine. Wow. And so once you uh, got the CEO to, to, to give it a taste, how, was he, was he uh, blown away by it also? Or? Loved it. <laughs> Loved it. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. So now speaking of California and your travels, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the travels that you do that are in, in line with uh, helping to uh, stock that 3,000 bottle wine list right. and uh, some of your experiences uh, in that particular vein. Well, I think that, you know, the most amazing thing to be able to do is to go to the regions where these wines are made. And, and that could be the North Fork of Long Island, and mm. that could be the Finger Lakes, it could be California. I've fortunately had the opportunity to travel to quite a few wine regions Um, and you know when you go to say Alto Adige in Italy Mm. and then you meet with these winemakers and you know winery owners and their families their entire families working there and they invite you into their home and Mm. make a home-cooked meal for you and then in the morning you see them doing like punch downs in the on the uh, uh, wines that they're making that they've served to you the night before. Mm-hmm. Like, it really makes it so so much a, uh, um, a visceral experience mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was really interesting to go. What's the most amazing thing, I think, is when you go into any particular region, say going to Bordeaux, and you can go to these amazing Pichon Longue Comtesse de la Lanne, these huge chateaus, incredible, and you see these... Uh, you know mechanics that they have in there, and these all this great um, sort of very new world and advanced winemaking. Mm. And then next door, you'll go into somebody's basement <laughs> where they have wooden barrels, and mm. they're standing on a rickety ladder, like punching it down with what looks like might be a broom, and it mm. might. You know, and but they're both making these incredible wines, and wow. it's really interesting to see how it all works together. Wow, wow. So now, have you had occasion to uh, go to any of, I guess, New World? places like South Africa or South America, you know, other than, other than California. (laughs) Yes, I have been um, to Argentina. Okay. uh, To Mendoza as well, um, which is really, has again, seen such a a renaissance in their winemaking. I think Mm. that for a very long time, they were seen as making bulk wines that weren't as good because it was just easy to make the wines. And now you have these incredible flying winemakers who are down there who are making absolutely incredible wine like Paul Hobbs is down there mm-hmm. you know he has um, his Kobos project which is uh, you know absolutely spectacular it's very high-end wines mm-hmm. um, and and again I think that you know you see this sort of way that the wine industry has changed entire uh, regions 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that particular Wine Spectator Grand Award, mm-hmm. what does it take? What's the what's the criteria? What do you have to do? What's, what's do you have to have a level of consistency or customers who devote who votes who decides who says that hey you know Del Frisco's and 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 Crystal you know they deserve this award who who makes that decision or is it just by example of how you guys uh, perform your your service. Well, no, it is, it's a pretty in-depth uh, process. Mm. So each year you submit your wine list, um, you put in a cover letter, you describe what kind of service you have in the restaurant, and then they come and they, they pick selections off your list and look to see where they are, how they're cellared, they you know, rate you on your service, mm. um, and all of that is involved in what, they use to decide who gets the grand awards. Mm. But it's not something, it's not a cookie cutter idea. You have to have a niche. You have to have something that puts you apart. It's not from, it's not about having 3,000 selections. Right, right. It's about what makes your wine list specific to your restaurant and the clientele that are coming there and why that makes it a grand award. Mm. So it's all of these things that are involved in it. And, um, it was funny when I was accepting the award for the first time. Uh, one of the uh, one of the gentlemen from one of the editors from Wine Spectator said to me, "He said, you know, you have one of the most, if not the most, comprehensive collection of cult California Cabernets that I have ever seen." Mm. And I think that was a big part of. It made sense because we're a big, you know, steakhouse. Right, right. So it makes right. sense to have that collection, but then to have the breadth and depth and vintages that we have along with that, and then add on the fact that we have all of these, you know, Romani Contis and you know, first growth Bordeaux and multiple vintages of those as well. Mm, okay, and also you have uh, the whites to complement, even oh, though yes. the reds. Obviously, you have, uh, you know, for for those who enjoy the whites and 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 uh, especially, I guess, I imagine with uh, dessert. <laughs> you know, perhaps people would enjoy some of the whites to go along with their desserts also. So I, I imagine that would complement all of the wonderful reds that you have. So. We do, and we do a, a, a very hearty, um, you know, sales in white wines with our shellfish selections mm, okay. at the beginning of the meal. Okay. You know, people want something light and refreshing, and especially in the summer, too. Right, right, wonderful. Okay, so now with the, you know, once again, with the size of this particular location, is is there a... A particular time of year, or uh, I guess even uh, season, that you perhaps get uh, more more uh, customers, or you know, more or less, where where the uh, the traffic of customers is at a, is at a high level. Oh, we call that OND October, November, December. Okay. <laughs> you know when the you know when the Christmas lights go up right, outside right. here in okay. Rock Center. Okay. Yes. That is that is what we call season, quote okay. unquote season. Okay, that's the big season during that the holidays when when the big tree is up at Rockefeller Center oh, yes. and all of the millions of tourists are coming through. That's when it really millions of tourists, of tourists and people having business parties and right. end of year parties. Mm. It is crazy. I mean, the throngs of people in the streets. It's mm. okay. And speaking of business people, I mean, obviously, I can see from downstairs that you're able to accommodate uh, quite large parties. You know, for like you said, especially for businesses. So, what what uh, what would be a, I guess, a maximum size, uh, I guess, corporate crowd that you would accommodate? Well, 
I mean, <laughs> oh, you we, have have, we have <laughs> we've had buyouts of the restaurant. Wow! So they'll take the entire restaurant. Okay. You know, and that's that can be four or five hundred people. Wow. Okay. Wonderful. But for for our private rooms, you know, we have like around eighty to hundred is the is the kind of max that we do for like a seated dinner for private dining. Okay. And do you do uh, any tastings? Do you have any any uh, regular tastings during the month? At all we do, or during the year? We do wine tastings. Okay. Um, and then we do wine dinners. Okay. And uh, so we recently uh, did a dinner with the Plump Jack group. So that was Odette and Adaptation and Plump Jack and uh, Cade from Howl Mountain. Incredible. And then we have another one coming up with Staglin. Okay. Wonderful winery from California. Every single year we do, uh, for the past 16 years, we've done an Opus One dinner in the fall. Mm, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. And also, do you have a wine education program for those who may be interested in something like that? Do you happen to, to do anything like the here at Del Frisco's? We do a lot of education here. Okay. And most of it is in-house. But we have also, um, we've had Saturdays with the Psalm where we invite uh, the you know guests to come in and to have an hour-long wine class with wine tastings and, and pairing with food. Um but as far as our staff goes, we do ongoing. Every day we have a pre-shift tasting of wine so that they have the opportunity to, and they're not tasting just wines that are by the glass. They're tasting three, $400 bottles of wine at these tastings so that then they have the opportunity to really be able to explain what these wines taste to their, like to their guests. Mm, okay. So now also as the director, uh, you know, how difficult is it for you to kind of pick out or discern, you know, different uh, new wines that are introduced to you when you are approached by distributors, you know, or, or uh, you know, vintners themselves. What's that process like for you, and is, and is it something that you find to be difficult? I don't find it to be difficult. I find it to be interesting. Okay. I really like to see the new trends and, and things that people are, you know, natural wines or organic wines, biodynamic, all of these sort of niches that people are trying to fill. I like to, you know, dive in and explore those. And even regions, uh, you know, that are making wines that they don't traditionally make. Mm. Like still wines from, you know, Tokai and Hungary and still wines from Portugal as opposed to, you know, just uh, sweetened port wines. Okay. So now on the, on the biodynamic side, do you get uh, many requests for that all from your guests for, the, for those particular wines? You know, people don't say, they don't really say the words biodynamic. They like the word organic because right, it's okay. thrown around right, so right, often. Right, right, now, right. You know, everything has to be organic. Right. Um, but they do request things like wines that have lower sulfites in them. So they're looking for products that have less additives to them, right? right? So it's about this sort of much more natural process. And I'm not talking about like naturally made wines that have, you know, nothing added to them at all, Mm -hmm. but wines that, uh, you know, are not manipulated as much as they, you know, wines that don't need to be manipulated. Mm -hmm. So you do find people that are looking for that and they, you know, people that have allergies, they're interested in those things as well. Okay. So now uh, here in New York City, it's, it's very competitive, in in the restaurant world and particularly uh, with the wines. So for a customer that that comes to Del Frisco for the first time and they're kind of comparing it to some other places they go, let's say a hardcore New Yorker that's a restaurant lover of food, hardcore New York foodie, what do you do? What can you uh, offer them 
in terms of your service and your selection that's going to make them say, hey, I'm going back to Del Frisco's. That's the place where, you know, I want to go back to. You know, it, it's such an interesting question, and it's something that I focus with on, on my Psalms, is that, to me, the Psalm has to be your friend. Mm. Like, they're there to help you. Right. And the worst thing you can ever do is make a guest feel like, you know, they don't need your help because they're just getting a, a glass of wine or they want an inexpensive bottle. It's not ever about that. Mm. The, the price tag doesn't matter. You want, the Psalm's there to help you, regardless of if you want a $10 glass of wine or you want a $3,000 bottle. It doesn't matter. Mm. And so what, what we do and what we really focus on is making that relationship and making that connection with the guest. So they trust you. And yes, it might be about getting them the wine that they say that they've had before, that they want again for the first three or four times. And then they start to trust you. And then they go, well, expand my horizons. Mm. Why don't you give me something that you pick? Mm. And to have that comfort and to have you know, the knowledge behind it that you can help these people and be their friend. Mm. and make these lifelong guests. I mean, I've been here for over 18 years. I have people that I literally keep coming back over 18 years. Okay, that, that answers the question. Okay, all right, we'll take a little break here at One Bottle at a Time. We're with Ms. Crystal Horton of Del Frisco's uh, Steakhouse. Uh, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. This is Ronald Dorsey of One Bottle at a Time, and we're here today at Del Frisco's Steakhouse in New York City, in the lovely uh, Rockefeller Center, with the wine director, uh, Miss Crystal Horton. Uh, once again, Crystal, can you tell our audience the uh, One Bottle that we're enjoying today? We are enjoying Realm Cellars 2015, The Bard. All right, wonderful, wonderful, okay. And I want to get into uh, a bit of uh, uh, Del Frisco's uh, being part of a uh, larger brand of uh, high-quality restaurants uh, and establishments uh, around the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit uh, more about uh, maybe some of the other establishments uh, in the New York area in particular and also around the country? So here in New York, we actually have uh, what's called the Del Frisco's Grill, which is a little more of a casual concept. We have one right in Rockefeller Center. And speaking of, uh, you know, the tree that goes up there, it it has a bird's eye view right of that. Um, It's right by the the skating rink over there. And then we also have one down in in Battery Park. Um, And so those are a little more casual concept, more family, you know, friendly um, but you still get the same great steaks, the same great um, service and experience. Mm. And they have incredible wine lists as well. Okay. We also have one of the grills in, um, in Hoboken. But uh, around the country, we have our Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouses uh, in Orlando and Las Vegas and in L.A. Mm. And, you know, they're all over. Dallas is where we first started. And so that is one of the originals. They've just moved. Um, but here in New York, we, we, we call this one the flagship. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, many, many selections for, for people to choose from. 
Okay. All right. So uh, we're going to bring it to a close. And as uh, part of our uh, one bottle at a time, we'd like to uh, throw a little literary nugget out to our uh, wine-loving audience. And uh, we'd like to talk about a short story of the day. And uh, for me, my short story of the day is by uh, the great American writer, um, Jack London, and it's called The Mexican. So for those of you who can uh, grab your book or grab your uh, computer and, or, uh, you know, go online and have a nice, uh, nice short story to read. So, Crystal, do you have a uh, short story of the day you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I think that um, we were talking before about Edgar Allan Poe, and it, it only makes sense uh, to mention um, the cask of Amontillado, right, again right. by Poe. But also, in not, it's not a, certainly not a short story, <laughs> right. but the, uh, the bottle that we have here, Realm, um, on the front of it, it does have a passage from King Richard II, uh, William Shakespeare. Look at that. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And it just, they highlight um, what they talk about the vineyards themselves, this blessed plot, this earth, this realm. Wow. 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 That's a, that's a art into itself, the whole uh, wine label it is. <laughs> design. Absolutely. That's a, something unto itself. Okay. So once again, this has been uh, Ronald Dorsey with Miss Crystal Horton of Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse. Thank you so very much. Thank you. All right. This is Ronald Dorsey. Keep it moving. One Bottle at a Time is a production of Sky Palace Music. It's about a night out in New York City. Dinner in wine, you and that dress looking so pretty. Girl, don't you know that? We can't forget any of this ever went on. Never went on, baby. We argue, girl, uh-huh, with fuss and we fight Later on, everything all just turns out right When we see our shadows dancing In the candlelight The whole world's asleep, there's not a soul in sight Oh, it's the perfect time for us to make things right Only we can see our shadows dancing In the candlelight